0: Hey, Merry Christmas, Christ City Church. Hey, yo, y'all look great, looking festive. Appreciate you all showing up today. Um, I see uh, all you, you know, I was kind of greeting you when you came in. You got that sort of Christmas week sparkle in your eye. Like, you're like, man, I'm counting down the days. I'm ready. Um, we are in the home stretch, y'all. And I, listen, I really do hope that these last days leading up to Christmas and the last days of 2022, frankly, that they are incredibly meaningful for you, that they're filled with intentionality and with joy and um, with things that remind you of God's great delight over you. Um, This has been an amazing Advent season for us uh, here at Christ City. I've heard from so many of you uh, that you've been uh, walking with us through the Advent Guide. Uh, Really grateful for that, grateful for all the contributors um, within our congregation who have made that possible, the musicians and video editors and writers and everything. We've, We've had amazing articles reflecting on Advent. We've had musical pieces and poetry and spoken word and a Visio Divina that was curated by our young people in Teen City and... And other great resources, as Justin mentioned, the last installment will drop later this afternoon or early this evening. Two other amazing articles will go in, one from Nina Balmaceda, who is uh, the director of Paz y Esperanza, and then another from our own Bashar Nasser, who was himself born in Bethlehem uh, and directs the Museum for the Palestinian People as a member of our church. So there's a musical meditation from Abby uh, that's also going to be included in there. So really uh, take a look at that and um, use this week and spend some time um, in the Advent guide and on the website. And as we are in the last few days of our Advent offering, as we mentioned earlier, it's an offering that we take up each year. Not only as we don't just want to sort of reflect on Advent, we actually want to uh, pair it with Advent action. Um, and so we do invite you to give. The offering is going to remain open to the end of the year, as Justin mentioned. So just as we aim to be a blessing to others as a reflection of God's great blessing given to us, then join us um, in giving to the Advent offering. And then, listen, in addition to the Advent uh, guide and the Advent offering, we've also been preaching each week on Advent. So, you know, uh, we, we try to, you know, kind of round out the series here. And we've been reflecting on these four Advent themes. Um, our guiding theme has been good news and great joy, coming out of the passage in Luke 2 that we looked at. And each week we've wondered together, how is Jesus' arrival into our world good news and great joy. In our first week, we considered hope. How is the Christmas story hopeful, good news, and hope-filled joy, especially when facing the cold and the dark? In the next week, we considered how Jesus' arrival is the quintessential embodiment of love and how God's love is good news and stirs up in us joy. Last week, we celebrated with choirs, we celebrated with children and home-cooked meals, and we not only considered together, but we demonstrated together how Jesus' birth in our world can be a catalyst for joy. And today, this morning, we arrive at peace. We opened our liturgy this morning with the lighting of the peace candle, and as it was lit, um, Ellen spoke these words over us. She said, we light this candle of peace, praying that in a world where there seems to be no peace, in all the unsettled places of our own lives and our anxieties and fears, you would be our prince of peace. Of all the themes that we've explored, i got to tell you that peace is the one that I personally have the hardest time with. I, I get hope, right? Like, I, you know, I... I uh, At times, um, some folks say that I'm a bit of a pessimist, but I like to think of myself as an optimistic realist. Um, (laughs) Hope is fun for me. Like, uh, you know, it it gives me a chance to imagine a future uh, of delight and of good. Love, I mean, uh, our lives at a, a thousand different points are filled with love. None of our lives are completely void of love. We experience it in so many ways if we would but see it and receive it from parents, children, spouses, friends. Even when we find ourselves heartbroken, it's generally because we've received or given love. Enjoy. J O Y. Down in my heart, deep deep down in my heart. Anybody? No? No don't know the J O Yeah, it's kind of like YMCA. It's a Christian version of YMCA. Eh? You can YouTube it later. Um The aim of so much of our lives is that we might experience abundant joy, joy in relationships and work and circumstances and sunsets. But peace, man, it just seems elusive to me. As we approach Christmas, They're images of sort of like peaceful Christmas nights and a peace-filled Christmas season that flood our minds and that flood our screens. I did a quick Google search and sort of figured out what, what are the images that come up when you type in Christmas and peace. Well, first you get a bunch of like ornaments. That's a peace that you can hang on your tree. That wasn't quite what I was thinking of, but it's like images of like peaceful new fallen snow, images of fireplaces and peacefully staged living rooms with like expertly decorated Christmas trees. You get images of like idyllic like European ski towns that I've never visited with chalets that are decorated just right. Sometimes you even get like these images of like well-behaved, like smartly dressed children that look like they stepped out of like a J. Crew magazine. And they're like sitting peacefully awaiting Santa's arrival. I mean, who are these kids here, man? Where'd you get these clothes? Man, my kids just, you know, I mean, there's so many of these images. They seem so far away from like my own lived experience. I mean, look, I don't even have a tree set up. Y'all, I'm just going to be real honest with you. I've sort of chronicled for the past several weeks. I won't whip you with it now, but I do still have a giant hole in my ceiling because of some construction that we're doing in our house. I got a pile of Christmas lights that are sitting in a chair right by the window that I normally use to access the plug so that I can, you know, hang them on my porch. But they're just sitting in the chair, and they've been there for two weeks. But those aren't even the trappings of peace, are they? It's not just decorations or snow or like smart cable-knit green sweaters like or lack thereof. It's not that that's actually undermining my sense of peace. I've had a bit of a rough go of it this past month. A month ago to the day, I received an email that no parent wants to get. Lisa and I received a text and an email indicating that our son's school was on lockdown because of gun violence. Thankfully for us, for our son, and for the hundreds of other children in school that day, no one was injured. Shootout was just outside the school, not in it. No one was injured as far as we know. But an unsettling reminder that We needed to have further conversations with our children about what they should do in the midst of lockdowns and gun violence. The following week was Thanksgiving, a day, you know, set aside for merriments and feasting. Lisa and I were hosting a bunch of folks from our small group. We have folks over. Some of y'all were there. And our sons, along with a bunch of their friends, they went uh, from Teen City. They had planned to attend the Turkey Bowl. Now, the Turkey Bowl is the D.C. Public High School football championship. It takes place every year on Thanksgiving Day at Eastern High School. It's kind of a big deal. It's a fun event. So they uh, packed up uh, early, you know, earlier in the morning, and they headed down to Eastern, which is just a few blocks from where I live. It was a city celebration, and they attended the game. But it was a city celebration that, again, was interrupted by violence. Another shootout taking place on 17th Street, just outside the school, as the game was ending. The police shut down that stretch of street. We got a text from the boys letting us know that they were making their way uh, home on foot, and that there was some trouble near the game. We got another text from a member of our small group who was making their way to Thanksgiving dinner, and they were texting us saying that they were going to be a bit delayed because 17th Street was blocked. They assumed it was because of the game's traffic that was just letting out. We realized that later they would find out that it was violence that was keeping them from the Thanksgiving table. Then last week, My kids are making their way home from their school's uh, basketball game. They're on the metro. It's a little late, and I'm sort of annoyed, but I'm trying to be patient because I'm trying to practice, you know, Advent patience, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. I'm trying to, you know, practice what I preach every now and then. I mean, it is Advent after all. I've been tracking with the Advent guide, I've been working on all that. So we're texting back and forth, and this is our text conversation. Uh, Nate, game just ended. Me, thumbs up emoji. I like the emojis, I know how to use them few minutes later, I text, y'all almost home. I say y'all because I'm from Texas. Nate, not really. <laughs> we got Popeyes. And then we had to wait 13 minutes for a train because of something that happened at Metro Center. On the way, though, he spells though, T-H-O. Me, okay. Hustle with you can. Hustle if you can. Him, yes, sir. All one word, yes, sir. A few minutes later, me, you on a train? Nate, yes, sir, with a photo of himself on the train. <laughs> a few minutes later, Nate sends a screenshot of a news report of an officer involved shooting at Metro Center. A few minutes later, he says, the train keeps stopping, with a crying face emoji. And then he texts me this image. It's the aftermath of a federal officer shooting, and killing a man as they fought on the platform at Metro Center at the Metro Station. And that's just last month, and those are only my experiences. And that doesn't begin to take into account the turmoil that so many of you have experienced. This past month or this past year, experiences of health tragedies, the passing of loved ones, upending marriages and relationships, job insecurity, and long periods of underemployment and economic uncertainty that's stirring haunting questions for you about the future. Many of us continue to contend with feelings of isolation and loneliness and lingering effects of COVID. And this is to say nothing of the global realities of ongoing war in Ukraine and a recent political coup in Peru and protests for women's rights in Iran. And in the tempest of so much distress and disharmony, it can be hard to know for me how to square the turmoil of the world with the angels' messages to the shepherds. And yet the truth is is that my soul aches. My soul aches for the words of the angel to resound in my own soul. I, I ache to not be afraid. I ache to experience the good news and the great joy that the angel talks about. I need to be reminded that Jesus' arrival is still good news. And it's still great joy even in the midst of this. And goodness me, I long to experience the angel's truth that glory to God in the highest on earth is peace. Songs of God's glory and peace on earth. I need that. We, we need that, church. It's what I ache for and I crave for, the Advent peace to arrive in my world, and I suspect that I'm not the only one in this room. There are, there are two words in the Bible for peace. One word in the Old Testament, which was written in Hebrew, and the other is a word in Greek because the New Testament was written in Greek. The Hebrew word is shalom, in Greek it's Irene. The word shalom comes first. It's like, the, it's like the original, if you will. It's the one that's most often used. And shalom in the Old Testament, it's, it's got an incredibly rich meaning. And so often when we think of peace, we just sort of imagine a definition that simply means something like the absence of war, the absence of violence, the absence of conflict. But shalom, it's, it's just far more nuanced than that in the Bible. In the Bible, shalom's meaning it's rich, and it's kind of multifaceted and multi-layered. and a more common definition that theologians often use is simply this, the way things as God intended them to be. Yet even that misses so much of the depth of the meaning, shalom, biblical shalom. The, the Bible's understanding of shalom is understood as peace. Uh, the understanding of peace is to be things as God intended between people between people and creation and within people and between people and God, it's just deeply holistic and fully embodied sense of rightness. Shalom between people. Uh, Certainly one aspect of shalom is that there's to be be peace between people. It has to find its expression in the relationships that we have with others, and this is between individuals, between me and you, but also a sense of peace between peoples, between my people and your people. For shalom to have expression between people, there must be a sense of of well-being, a sense of safety, a sense of security between us. In Genesis 37, for example, Jacob asked Joseph to go check on his brothers, and he says, go and see if they have shalom, see if they have peace between them between each other and between the others that are around them. Leviticus 26, the Lord says to Israel, I will grant you shalom in the land. I'll grant you peace. No one will make you afraid. God is telling his children that there'll be peace between them and other nations. Shalom incorporates right, harmonious relationships into its understanding of peace. It's this avenue of peace where justice and rightness between people and peoples comes into view. This is reflected in our cultural chants and in our protests that remind the world that where there's no justice, there's no peace. It's an echo of the biblical prophet Jeremiah who warns against saying, peace, peace, but there is no peace. The dance between justice and peace is what the psalmist had in mind in Psalm 85 where he writes, love and faithfulness, they meet together. Justice and peace kiss. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth and justice leans down from heaven. Shalom is intertwined with justice. In shalom, each person enjoys justice, for there is no shalom without justice. However, shalom goes beyond justice. As Sri Lankan theologian Vinath Ramachandra points out, injustice is always exclusionary. Therefore, true biblical justice must be inclusive. There is never a point where the invitation to experience God's shalom, there's no point where the invitation is not also to extend to the practitioners of injustice, an invitation to lay down their oppression making and become shalom makers, to become peacemakers. Shalom is more than just the ending of injustice. It is the healing of the broken bonds of peace that were meant to exist between people and peoples. Yes, shalom is the ending of violence and oppression between people, but shalom is also the establishment of joy and flourishing between those who were once bent on each other's undoing. It probably doesn't need to be repeating, but I'm not going to let it stop me. This is part of the theological underpinnings of our Advent offering. It's not just charity. It's not just nice people doing nice things for folks. It's about a shalom making as a community, attempting to invest into the things that make for peace. Investing in the dreams and hopes of young people so that they might experience the shalom of God. It's investing in the institutions that aim at providing a safe place to learn and grow and thereby experience the shalom of God. It's investing in organizations that are right now, as we speak, at the front lines of political upheaval and violence and are working to reweave the tattered, uh, reweave that which is tattered by corrupt power and destructive violence. Our Advent offering is a deposit, a down payment on Shalom in D.C. and around the world. Shalom, it, it doesn't just have a human element, though. There's also a non-human element dimension as well. Shalom, biblically understood, it it, it, creates, it incorporates right harmonious relationships with nature and a delight in our physical surroundings. Shalom comes when we as embodied bodily creatures, not disembodied souls, when we care for and shape and labor alongside and delight in the wider community, the wider created world that the creator has entrusted us with. As African-American author and theologian Lisa Sharon Harper notes, we were meant to be protectors and cultivators and and servants of the land, not its exploiters. Shalom with creation was broken in the fall. But God's plan for the renewing of shalom with creation, it runs through Jesus and those that follow Jesus. As the Apostle Paul writes in Romans 8, for The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. Creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay. Shalom is not possible as long as we continue to view creation as something to exploit and consume rather than something created by God for us to steward and to protect and to love. Shalom isn't only about the state of things outside of ourselves. Shalom is also what takes place in my own skin. Shalom incorporates the understanding of a right, harmonious relationship with myself. I can be at peace with everyone around me and have a war waging inside of me. Outwardly, I can present a a facade of peace, but on the inside, in my mind, and my emotions, and my soul, I can feel at such dis-ease that it belies my external appearance. Even if things are going well for me, if I have safety and security, and my relationships are in order, and I'm caring for the wider world around me, but internally I'm at odds with myself, that's not shalom. Shalom is where my whole being finds integration. With my outside life and my inner life, when they find congruence and harmony with each other, and when there's a distance between those two sides of who I am, when I'm experiencing a lack of integration, when I'm experiencing disintegration. But where shalom takes root, then there is a qualitative difference in my life. For example, the results of which are displayed in what the Bible refers to as the fruit of the Spirit, I begin to display outwardly and experience inwardly love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. With Shalom's experience, I don't simply love others uh, just as a show of love towards others, but I have love for others. I'm able to receive love from others. I'm able to love myself as God loves me. When shalom is experienced, I don't simply just have the markings of joy. I experience joy down in my heart, deep, deep down in my heart. When shalom takes root, patience isn't just something that I show others, but it's something that I practice with myself. I am patient and gracious with myself. The same with kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and all of them. Shalom is things as God intended them to be within me. And then lastly, and most importantly, shalom incorporates right, harmonious relationships with God. As a Christian philosopher, Nicholas Walterstorff states, when the prophets speak of shalom, they speak of a day when people no longer flee God down the corridors of time, a day when they will no longer turn in those corridors to defy their divine pursuer. The centerpiece... Of any peace is ultimately peace with God because God is the originator of shalom. He is the one who embodies the peace we seek. And this is precisely why the angels sang in Luke 2, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. They sang this because peace wasn't an idea. It wasn't even a state of being. but Rather, peace was a person. Peace is the one of whom the priest Zechariah said earlier in Luke's Christmas account, he, this one who embodies peace, he will guide our feet into the way of peace. Jesus is the one of whom Simeon would say later in the Christmas story, this day, Lord, you have discharged your servant in peace, just as you promised. He is the one of whom... Peter said that it was by him that God preached the good news of peace to Israel. He is the one of whom Paul was speaking as a Jew to the Gentiles when he said he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. He is, in fact, Jesus Christ, whom Isaiah called the Prince of Peace. Peace isn't simply a concept. It's not just a a future state of transcendent perfection, but peace is a person. And that's what Advent reminds us of. That's why there can be peace on earth because the Prince of Peace made his way to earth on our behalf. Because of that, we can face violence in the streets and in the metro stations. We can work for peace because Jesus took on violence in all of its forms and all of its hatred and overcame it. We can face isolation and rejection because Jesus took on rejection and overcame it. We can face sorrow because Jesus faced sorrow and overcame it, not just so that we can have peace that masquerades as snow-covered chalets in Swiss Alps or a manicured evergreen tree in our living room, but so that we might have a deeper peace that finds its expression in our relationships with others, in our relationships with the wider, wilder world around us, peace in our relationships with ourselves, and ultimately peace with God. Brooke Owens was a member of our church. He passed away in 2016 after a long fight with cancer. She was a brilliant and beautiful person with a wild sense of humor. She was a rocket scientist at NASA, literally, a rocket scientist. She had a bunch of other hobbies, too. She was a DJ, and she was a poet. She would chronicle her journey with cancer and its intersection with faith through her poems and through her spoken word pieces. She was raw and honest about the ways that her cells waged war with each other in her body the questions that that raised for her about faith and ultimately the ways that she's able to settle on peace. A few lines from her poem, Enough. In our dark shadow days, we can claim bounty in the ways for which we've been provided for. In the presence of pain, I can count as gain the number of sunsets I've witnessed or the sweetness of songs like Bootylicious. The list could go on and on. We can feast in famines and dance amidst death threats and murmur gratitudes while gunfires graze us. Brooke reminds me that in my despair that God can get tiny if I'm not careful. Brooke reminds herself and us that God's peace can still peek out in people and places and relationships that have been beaten with death blows because peace is a person. Jesus who beat death in all of its forms and in that there is hope and there is joy and there is love and there can be peace and that's why today We can sing, and that's why the angels sang then, glory to God in the highest heavens, and on earth, peace. Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for this season. We thank you for the ways that you have come into our world as tumultuous as it might have been, and that you remind us that even in those places that peace can reign, because you reign, God. God, I pray that as we take this last turn towards Advent, God, that we would remember that whatever it is that we're facing, that you're here, that you're with us, and that you remind us that you are for our good and that you are for our peace, God. Lord, I pray that we experience Advent peace even this week. With whatever it is that we're facing, with whatever it is that is staring down upon us, God, that we would see you and look to you. We pray this in Jesus' name.